1: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire
2: professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today.
0: Jobone just wasn't able to keep up with other brands like Apple, like Samsung, like Fitbit. They all evolved from a hardware and a software perspective, and Jobone just was not able to keep up
1: Welcome to episode 45 of The Great Fail, a podcast that examines the greatest success stories and their spectacular fails. What led to the demise of the most prolific people, brands, and companies. I'm your host, Deborah Chen, and this week we'll be looking at Jawbone. It was February 2017 when the fitness wearable maker Jawbone filed a lawsuit against its rival Fitbit. Fitbit had been taken over the market, and there had been no shortage of drama between the two, with the embattled company squaring off in court several times in two years. In court documents, it was alleged that Fitbit hired six former employees who had stolen trade secrets. These trade secrets that made its way into the corporate headquarters of Fitbit. The contentious ongoing battle had first started in 2015 when Jawbone alleged that Fitbit poached its employees from the company and coaxed them into downloading sensitive files, violating their confidentiality agreements. And what was brought into court were over 300,000 source files supporting this argument. But... It would be a year later when federal prosecutors charged these six employees under question, indicting them for misappropriation of Jawbone's trade secrets. Except by then, the damage had been done, and it was caused by a lot more than leaking of company secrets. Jawbone had already gone out of business. So what went wrong? How did Jawbone, once a groundbreaking industry pioneer, find itself entangled in corporate espionage, public embarrassment, and a string of unhappy customers? Welcome to the story of Jawbone, pioneering the wearable frontier since 1999, fading out by 2017.
0: Terminating program.
1: Is there a wearable that you can't live without these days? Maybe it's a smartwatch or a device to help you with your posture, or maybe you're wearing something to track your sleep. By definition, wearables or wearable technology is a category of tech devices that can be worn either as an accessory or on your clothing or on your body. They're hands-free gadgets that have the ability to store, receive, and send data through the internet. Today, the most popular wearables include smartwatches, where you're wearing a mini computer on your wrist, or fitness trackers, which track your fitness and reports on your physical activities. And then you have the more recent hearables, which are essentially earbuds with multiple functions. Those are just a few. And wearable tech is one of the fastest growing markets and continues to see tons of growth ahead. In fact, A report from the IDC, which is the International Data Corporation, recently cited that despite supply chain challenges last year, worldwide wearables still managed to hit an all-time record high in the fourth quarter of 2021, meaning it was growing at a staggering double-digit rate. And that market size is expected to double in the next few years. Later on, we'll actually be speaking with IDC's analyst, Jitesh Ubrani, who covers the wearable space. But before we go any further, let me drop a fun bit of history on you. In 1961, mathematics professor Edward Thorpe and an MIT professor Claude Shannon built what was considered by many to be one of the first wearables on the market. They created a small computer that allowed them to cheat in roulette as it predicted where the ball would land. What they built was a timing device that can fit inside their shoe and on the exterior it looked like a small box stuffed with wires wrapped with tape not really the look when you're trying to sneak past security in Vegas, but nevertheless it gave a 44% competitive edge to the player. Well, we've come a long way from the wad of wire stuffed in a shoe and many companies have jumped in to innovate around the way that we live our daily lives. Some of them have been particularly noteworthy, like the company that many regard as one of the pioneers in the wearable space. That company was called Jawbone. It was the mid-1990s when Hossein Rahman and Alexander Asseli met at Stanford. It was an unbelievable time in Palo Alto, and it was on those campus grounds that the founders of Google and Yahoo also had their start. The excitement was palpable, and the energy was ripe for new ideas. And so in 1999, Rahman and Asseli formed a company called OliveCom, The original thought was to build a speech recognition device like what Siri does. But as they started to build, they realized how difficult it was given all the background noise in the world. So what emerged from that project ended up being a noise cancellation technology. And that venture was so successful that Rahman and Asali were approached by the United States Department of Defense to partner and refine this technology for the military. That was the genesis of how the company's Jawbone product, the first smart headset, was commercialized and released to the world in 2004. The headset had noise-canceling features, but still had a wire attached to it. So, although it was cool, it barely made a blip on the radar. But, when they launched the Bluetooth Jawbone in 2006, things took off. Sales shot through the roof between 2007 and 2008 and then a reportedly began to fade from the limelight and decided to move back to London. That left Rahman to become the company's CEO. Right around that time, Apple launched the first ever revolutionary iPhone. And jawbone was right alongside them riding that wave being offered on the shelves alongside the phones during that time bluetooth headsets were a pretty new thing honestly it seemed like people were walking around talking to themselves until you realized that they were on their bluetooth headsets and then came this period of health concerns like was there radiation is it bad for your health but the concerns tapered pretty quickly and Bluetooth became more of a norm.
0: I think the, the first time I ever heard of on was way back in the day when they used to make Bluetooth headsets. Um, this is you know, probably around early 2000s. They were one of the most popular brands back then. Um, and they, they did relatively well in their market. They helped you know, build a lot of awareness, uh, launched some great products. They were, they were fairly popular. They were almost, uh, I would say, the de facto um, Bluetooth headset maker
1: back then. That's Ubrani, whose research focuses on various consumer device markets, phones, tablets, PCs, wearables, AR, VR, and smart home products. He covers them from a global perspective and does a lot of market sizing and forecasting. Jawbone won people over with their stylish, minimalistic, and modern design, which was done by none other than Eve Behar, who some regard as the godfather of design.
0: Yeah, I think compared to, compared to other vendors at the time, yeah, they, did, they didn't invest a lot in design. Um, again, Bluetooth headsets by and large were not you know, broadly accepted in society, but if someone were to use one, they wanted something that looked good and that had a greater potential of being accepted by their friends and peers. And that's where, again, Java did fairly well.
1: And while they continued to release their headsets and their Jambox speakers, they were starting to look at other technologies. But as we know, the business and tech world lives by the saying, innovate or die. And so despite all of the success that Jawbone was experiencing, they needed to continue hatching new ideas in order to stay ahead of the race. And so in 2011, Jawbone made the decision to pivot. It was during that time when the wearables market were starting to see some movement, and Jawbone believed that they could capitalize on the new and highly desirable fitness tracking market. This pivot and expansion into a hot new area allowed Jawbone to attract funding from top-tier Silicon Valley venture capital firms.
0: The wearables market certainly was growing substantially back then. Um, it was the hot, the hot new technology that, that kind of everyone was looking into uh, or, or investing in. Um, and so there was there was a lot of upside uh, for their wearables business, uh, potentially more so than the Bluetooth headset business or the Bluetooth boombox business that they were in.
1: This later helped them amass a world-class board that included Yahoo's CEO, Marissa Mayer, and Water Music Group's COO, Robert Weisenthal. With all that funding in place and the right team behind it, it seemed like Jawbone would be unstoppable. But as it turns out, having a perfect company on paper doesn't lead to a perfect reality, as Jawbone was going to find out very soon. For some eagle eye observers, the red flags really began to appear when Jawbone made that pivot into the wearables market here's what went wrong in july of 2011 jawbone came out with their line of wearable fitness trackers the up fitness brand it tracked your steps your sleep patterns and calorie intake and it was paired with an app and priced at a fairly reasonable 99 dollars as revolutionary as it was in principle the product well it just didn't work properly In fact it was plagued with issues from the jump first there were delays which were magnified by the amount of marketing hype around the product it doesn't bode well when everyone's anticipating a product launch only to witness a very public delay and when it finally did go out many reported that it just stopped working after a few days that it wasn't holding its battery charge or syncing up properly one or two minor bugs were expected on the launch day, but the up band had far more than that. As a result of these issues, Jawbone stopped production and began offering refunds. Though the company did what they thought was best for the customers, offering a no questions asked refund was nearly unheard of. And when asked in a Macworld article about how the full refund program would impact Jawbone's bottom line, their VP of product management said,
0: We don't look at this from profitability. We look at what's the best thing to do for the customer. Profitability will sort itself out if we do those things right.
1: While a move like this would likely boost perception with consumers, it certainly wasn't popular with the investors.
0: We at IDC we started tracking the wearables market really around 2013, um, and by then a lot of the the damage or a lot of the, the missteps that Javon had taken had already kind of started to hurt their presence in the wearables market. Um, so they launched the Up tracker I want to say around 2011 or so, um, and they ended up you know discontinuing it, refunding um, the money that that. That consumers had paid for the up tracker um, because of, of numerous complaints and, and, and other issues that they that they face and really the fact that they went out there and and refunded everyone their money for for that tracker I don't think it did them any any uh, any good rather it probably hurt them in the long run because there was now this massive story that hey job-owned trackers are not that great or the job-owned brand isn't that great even though you know, from from their perspective, they probably did right by the consumer by refunding 100% of the cost. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you
2: talking about,
0: you insane Hollywood ass.
2: to find out if it's right for you.
1: By addressing one audience's problems, Jawbone had created another set of issues for their key stakeholders. The upline got a relaunch the following year, this time without the bugs that had plagued the initial rollout. But the delay in widespread problems had already left a negative imprint with skeptics and critics taking a year to correct the problems didn't do much to dial back on those initial impressions. Sometimes people, even brands, make mistakes that send them back to the drawing board to put their heads down and plow forward with solutions, which is exactly what Jawbone did. The next year, however, they doubled down and announced the launch of the Up 3, which would be completely waterproof. That was mind blowing for 2013 and looked to be a total game changer. It seemed that Jawbone was getting a solid foothold, finally. Except the company continued to experience production delays and as a result, couldn't release the up three in time for Christmas. And for a consumer electronic product company, that's a massive loss. When it was ready, It turned out that Jawbone's manufacturer couldn't actually get the entire device to be 100% waterproof. Quite an anticlimactic, embarrassing outcome. As if things couldn't get more complicated, as this was all going down, Jawbone released another product version with similar design that overlapped with the UP3, further confusing its customers and cannibalizing itself.
0: There were a bunch of bugs. It was overpriced. ultimately it didn't help their case and if you take a look at what happened with later products they didn't really redeem themselves either with with the future generations because i remember they had launched uh i believe it was the up three and the up two at almost the same time and so you know essentially they kind of postponed their own product uh very very soon after launching it right um so they they had delays um in terms of their future iterations of, of their their up lineup, and when it did launch, it lost you know, alongside uh, of an extremely recent generation, um, which again didn't help sales because people who bought the two were now pissed off that they couldn't buy the three.
1: And then came the topic of severe competition. Not to say that product launches don't encounter issues, but as Jawbone struggled through their own learning curve, this highly competitive wearables market continued to evolve around them with better software and better hardware. We also started
0: seeing uh, you know, competitors like Fitbit, uh, Apple in the later years, uh, and, and many other um, companies start to evolve from a technological perspective and from a feature set perspective in terms of what they're offering uh, on their wearables, and these companies were outspending on from a, a marketing perspective. So um, did really help Jabon's case, unfortunately.
1: Apple and Nike entered the market, and Fitbit launched a direct competitor to the UpBands in 2013. And customers noted how much more dependable, how better all around these other devices were. Fitbit released continuous heart rate tracking, informative displays, new form factors, and then eventually waterproofing that actually worked.
0: One of the the biggest missteps I think they made during the time that we had been tracking them was the fact that they launched generations of products in very quick succession Um, and that really pissed off customers Um, and and again it just made made them look bad because um, they had been promising the next generation of products for for quite some time and it really unfortunately quite late Um, so it it didn't really help their case but um, when you compare them to Fitbit when you compare them to to other players uh, you know Apple lost in 2015 and and they gathered a lot of attention Uh, I think the reality is A brand like Jawbone just wasn't able to keep up with the the level of sophistication that was um, being brought to the market by other brands like Apple, like Samsung, like Fitbit, right? They all evolved um, from a hardware and a software perspective and Jawbone just was not able to keep up with that.
1: To those on the outside, Jawbone seemed more consumed with funding and making their products more beautiful with cutting edge designs and bright pops of color instead of trying to make the product more functional and powerful. So where, you might ask, did the lawsuit come in? In 2015, right around the time that the Up2 was attempting to redeem its predecessor's rollout, Jawbone accused Fitbit of systematically plundering trade secrets, alleging that the competitor had recruited six employees, encouraging them to violate their non-disclosure agreements. Although the two companies agreed on a settlement in 2017 over three alleged patent violations, it would be a year later when the FBI charged all six of those employees for possession of stolen trade secrets, reinvigorating the company's claim against Fitbit. And then in the latest drama in 2020, the charges were eventually all dropped. Fitbit's CEO, James Park, was once quoted saying that the conflict that Jawbone attempted was to disrupt Fitbit's momentum to compensate for their own lack of success in the market. Whether or not that was true, numbers don't lie. And there was no denying that Jawbone was hauling in the funding. Rahman had successfully raised more than $900 million at a whopping valuation of $3.2 billion. Even with all of that, money was not the panacea for the company's software glitches and hardware problems. CNBC reported that along the way, Jawbone had burned through more than $500 million in equity and $400 million in debt only managing to have less than five percent of market share in wearables one of the lasting impressions from jawbone's demise was its community of angry consumers dealing with their customer service there's been no shortage of media coverage reporting on the confusion of consumers in the final days of jawbone although it's no shock that companies shut down there's usually some instructions given to their consumers as to what they need to do. In Jawbone's case, they disappeared without a trace, and in the wake of their liquidation, left the muddy trail of confused and unhappy people who had nowhere to turn except online to make complaints.
0: Ultimately, you know, they, they put themselves in a position where they just weren't able to uh, pay their dues when it came to suppliers and they weren't able to offer the right level of customer service that uh, customers were hoping for and, and other other people in the industry were hoping for so they, they abandoned customers um, relatively quickly and, and we never really admitted to that either
1: those customers were once their biggest supporters who purchased a new unproven product supported the company and believed in their mission Ironically, as a reward for their loyalty, Jawbone suspended their customer service and halted response to any inquiries on defective products. People would call what they thought was the customer service line only to be directed to another line, and then wait and wait, only to be disconnected. It was so poorly managed that the Better Business Bureau awarded an F to Jawbone. Financially, Jawbone should have been able to go toe-to-toe with Fitbit and really dominate the market share within the wearable space. The media tends to love companies with inflated valuations as it suggests that the company is positioned for domination. But in reality, you have to create something worthwhile with all of that funding or the money eventually runs out. Investment has to convert to revenue especially as competitors skyrocket to success all around you. With all its cachet, today, Jawbone is ranked as the second largest failure within the VC-backed companies in terms of monies raised and the magnificent failures of their up product lines. So I guess the saying is true. What goes up must come down. Special thanks to Jitesh Shobrani for his contributions to this episode and sharing his insights to what led to the failure of Jawbone. And thank you for tuning in this week to The Great Fail, a program that spotlights some of the most infamous case studies of failed businesses, brands, and ideas, and goes beyond that to garner lessons and wisdom so that we all can learn from the greatest mistakes. The Great Fail is part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcast. The research on each episode is extensive, but none of these episodes would be possible without the tireless efforts of researchers, writers, and reporters. They are all credited on thegreatfield.com under our show notes connect with us at the great fail on facebook twitter and instagram and please subscribe rate and review this podcast so that we can continue bringing you more episodes and remember with great failure comes great liability